Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kevin Johnson program as we speak to individuals who shape the arts entertainment here in South Florida. You can find us on anchor.fm forward slash Kev John Pro. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, also under Kev John Pro. And as while this is recording, as many of you know, we are recording under a state of emergency due to this pandemic. Even though it is affecting all of us, we mostly focus on the individual who shapes the arts and entertainment culture here in South Florida. So we're here to get to know more about them as opposed to the current state of events that we are doing now. So let me introduce my guest at this time. I've been meaning to speak to him for a while now, so I'm glad that he was taking he's taking time out of his schedule to speak to us. His name is Rio Chavaro. That's Rio Chavaro. Um You'll have to you'll have to um, refresh my memory here because of course things are muddy after twenty some odd years. But how I know Rio is that he uh, is an actor. He's also a stage performer, and we'll get into his uh, other uh, projects as we go along. But how I know Rio is from theater, local theater. And I saw him in a couple of productions that I did not realize that he was in. The first one was Tracers with the Juggernaut Theater Company. Now, that had to be back in, like, the early aughts, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 2000, uh, what was that? 2000, yeah, 2002, maybe? <laughs> you don't even remember? <laughs> I, 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 2004, actually. I think it was a 2003. Yeah. Uh, worked with them back in the day. Yeah, Tracers was a, a I think it was timely uh, when it was decided upon to be produced with uh, Elda and, and Andy and, and them. Um, yeah, Kevin, I haven't seen you for a long time. It took it took a pandemic to get us together again, huh? Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> but um, like I said before, um, I wanted to start with your uh, with your theater background because, like I said, that's how I know you. And then, of course, right. I also know that uh, you have been doing things under another moniker. And then, as well, uh, I also wanted to get into uh, your uh, your setup because uh, you are one of the top three impersonators of a prolific gentleman dating back to the early twentieth century. So we'll get into all of that. We'll get into all of that. So um, let's let's start from the very very beginning. Uh, are you a Florida native? Born and raised in the county of Dade. 305 till you die. All of that. <laughs> yeah, 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 all that, all that gibberish. Like, you know, I grew up uh, uh, kind of all over Miami, like a little bit of Little Havana, a little bit of Westchester, a little bit of North Miami Beach. Uh, my parents were not gypsies. I guess they were like economic gypsies where uh, they just went where the work was as far as... Uh, gigging, I guess, but then my dad uh, became a roofer and whatnot, they stabilized, and then, you know, by the time they were stable, they got divorced, and then, uh, I, so I, I got to know a lot about Miami, and I picked up a lot of accents and uh, mannerisms and dialects of my 
Beatles, you know, I'm Latino. And uh, I can kind of say that in Miami, I can imitate almost anybody from anywhere that you can find on the street in Miami. Mm. Uh, just because I've lived all over. Um, want me to start at the beginning? Please. Let me see. That, that would be it, 1977. Uh, my parents were living off of, right across La Rosa's Bar uh, on Northwest 7th Avenue in Alabama, bordering with Wynwood. Um, yeah, born there. And then my parents moved around a lot. I got into theater. Well, I knew I liked theater uh, since I was little, I guess, and I was always uh, singing, dancing, and joking and, and, and making fun of people, impersonating people, which brings you to the other thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I went to Miami Dade Kendall. Uh, I did uh, theater there with Karen Martin and um, and Mary Levin. Um, and then I got accepted. Uh, we did the Florida Theater Conference a couple of years in a row with uh, the Miser and uh, can't remember what the other one was. Uh, Lemmy and Tenor, which I played Max. And I ended up going to a theater conference and then uh, going to a contest where colleges were kind of scouting people. And somehow I got picked to, to check out Tisch School of the Arts in New York. Um, I went up there and, and studied the Juilliard wing and I was ousted from there. And then I came back here, tail between my legs after two years in New York, um, and went to New World School of the Arts, uh, where I got to meet the whole, you know, like one lake in Miami gets you eight more immediately. Oh, yeah. Um, you do one gig, you met 20 people that are of that industry that you will see everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, theater is no different. And so when I went to New World, uh, I studied when Jorge Guerra was still teaching and the dean. And then uh, Patrice Bailey took over after he got sick sort of towards our last year. Actually, my first year at New World School of the Arts in 9-11 happened. And, um, uh, the, you know, the world was silenced and shocked and grieving and confused. And I remember leaving New World School of the Arts. I remember leaving, and the whole school, like floor by floor, emptying out and walking over to, to Bayside, to Biscayne Bay, and looking back at the city. And I thought, this is never going to be the same. Like, the world will never be the same after today, ever. Of and course. Enough, uh, here we are during a pandemic. Woohoo! Um, the newest normal. Yeah, I, I'm a bit erratic. Sorry, I'm bouncing around. So then, once I was in New World, um, you know, I met the likes of uh, David Quiet and great actors here in South Florida in general uh, and that um, I'm really sad about uh, Joseph Adler you know uh, but that that's neither here nor there right but I mean I got to meet so, so much of uh, the South Florida theater community um, at a time that was I think critical in, in a young actor's um, trajectory in their city because they, they want it they're hungry and I was hungry I wanted to, to learn more I wanted to work with more people and I did, you know. I got to I got to work on some pretty amazing stages. I got to work with Juggernaut. I got to work with uh, Gable Stage. But which was was um. Up and rising. Right, but was uh, Tracers was that your professional debut? I suppose, it, it, yeah, the professional theatrical debut, sure. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, that was at PS Seven Forty Two in the theater, uh, right in Little Havana on, on uh, Southwest Sixth Street. I used to live on that street. I used to live on Sixth Street and Eighth Avenue. Wow. Um, And then uh, I know that, like you said before, you worked with Ground Up and Rising. You did uh, September 10th. That's where I yeah. I really remembered. That's where you stuck out to me, that, that performance there. And, um, yeah. Yeah. and then yeah, I love, I love that 
And then uh, also, like you said, uh, you worked for uh, Gable Stage. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I had this little conversation with Alberto Acevedo, uh, who was running the Alliance Theater Lab at the time. And um, what uh, productions did you do with Gable Stage? Well, I did the retreat from Moscow with um, Lisa Morgan and David Quiet. That was shortly after my other, like, I, they, they've run me out of every conservatory I've gone into, thank God. Um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't continue at New World School of the Arts, and I got to work with David Quiet and Lisa Morgan, who were uh, adjunct faculty uh, members of New World School of the Arts through the University of Florida. Mm-hmm. So that was a really cool experience, getting to work, you know, with Joseph Adler. And David Quiet would have been my acting teacher, and uh, Lisa Morgan, who had been uh, the dean's assistant at the time. So that was a really amazing experience. Uh, wasn't crazy about the material, but I was just glad to have been in that situation. And um, it's funny you, you mentioned Alberto because uh, I love that man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did uh, Hellcab together, and that was a hell of a time at the same little theater where we did uh, Juggernauts uh, Tracers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I understand, did you win a Carbonell Award for one of your performances? Uh, well, I, I, I Tracers won a Best Ensemble. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, we, were, we were really close to the, the cast. We were really tight in. Okay. Okay. So, what made you decide uh, it was uh, basically time to move on from... Uh, local theater because like I said I understand now with uh, what you're doing now uh, with your current projects uh, for instance I understand you hosted a uh, open uh, mic called Words and Wine under the stage name Rio Dios Mios uh, as well as uh, you know founding uh, or co-founding the burlesque uh, production troupe Moon River Cabaret so um, what made you decide it was time to move on and to focus on other projects? Um, I, I don't see it so much as that moved on. Uh, I mean, you mentioned it twice. Um, yeah, no, I don't think I've moved on. Essentially, an actor's palette needs to be made up of livable, experiential knowledge of actual tactile and immersive experiences, I feel, are sort of very key to being uh, the kind of artist that has uh, the sensitivity and not the pretense to know almost any material, any material, whether if it's not even your culture or religion, you know, just reading it and understanding it and grasping it and feeling it and then somehow being able to transform it to presentation. Um, and so here, here's, here's a crazy story, Kev. Um, in 2008, well, in 2008, uh, a group of friends of mine were living uh, where Kush is now in Wynwood on 20th Street, North Miami Avenue. And we all had little one bedroom apartments back when those were like affordable, like 500 bucks for <laughs> in Wynwood. Uh, and in 2005, uh, all of us upstairs we were really good friends with friend Josh Weiss and, and uh, Alvaro Contreras. And um, there was a commercial space downstairs, not unlike PS 742 in Little Havana, where we had done all these productions, just theatrical productions. And we put our heads together and we put our money together and we ended up renting one of the commercial spaces downstairs in 2000, 
uh, late 2004, late 2005, and opening up a place called Cornerstone Experiential Arts, where I got to produce uh, improv theater, I got to produce uh, poetry, open mic slam night, uh, singer-songwriter series, uh, my own theatrical productions with Oscar Fuentes and Alonso Menendez, uh, local poets and actors and artists and <laughs> rabble-rousers in their own. Um, and Cornerstone survived till 2007 um, due to issues of rising rent and issues with landlords and sound uh, ordinance issues. So at that time, in those critical two years of Miami's local art scene, I was already into poetry, and, and my name back then was Rio de Miami, so I kind of never changed the letters of my abbreviation. Uh, in those days, I got immersed into poetry and doing, like dropping a monologue at the top of a hat in the middle of a mall, mm. or like Lincoln Road. Yeah, we used to kind of just do that. We would like bomb a place with art, you know, just show up, put up an easel, paint while somebody sings or plays the guitar. It was wicked. We were just doing it because we needed to, and that's how Cornerstone sort of, we all met through Theater the Underground and Churchill's and Wallflower Gallery and all these historic places. But I felt like South Florida Theater hadn't had enough of its world immersed in the local arts that you can actually find that you can actually throw a rock and find in Miami because there's so much art in this city and so Cornerstone closed in 2007 and I moved um, having lived in New York before and in New Orleans before another part of my life um, in Orlando I moved into Los Angeles to seek the, the film dream right Okay. To, to pursue my odds in Los Angeles as an actor and I moved to L.A. for a couple of years, and I did a couple of things, you know, some TV, some commercials, um, never beyond a guest starring role. Um, and L.A. was a little rough on me, I gotta tell you the truth. After that, I, I came back. Actually, I came back for one month to visit family and everything, and I moved back to L.A. to uh, finalize my things. When I ran into a college friend uh, from Finland who uh, had gone to the School of the Arts, was my classmate, and... This Finnish guy named Miska, and, and he's standing there. I'm on Franklin in Los Angeles, and I'm, I'm just sitting at this place called the Bourgeois Pig. And I'm sitting there having coffee, and I'm kind of down on my luck, man. I have like the last five bucks in my pocket, the last hundred dollars in my bank account. I'm selling all my things. I'm kind of like sleeping on a friend's couch to finish the apartment stuff and moving my life back to Miami. When I see Miska, and he's like, How are you, my buddy, my friend? And we catch up, and he says, Did you know Charlie Chaplin? Uh, the Universal Studios is looking for Charlie Chaplin. Oh. Right? I've been developing Chaplin since 1999, 2000. So at that point, I was I was very immersed. Um, I had not only watched 112 of his movies, but 113 of all of his movies, uh, and really gotten to know the man and read every book I could, and impersonated Charlie Chaplin for a few years at that time, and I'd become pretty confident with my skills. Now, <laughs> Now, let's slow down for a second, because... For those of okay. for, for those of the people who are listening, like I said, prolific actor of the early twentieth century. So you're bre- basically going to now have to break down who is Charlie Chaplin. Uh, okay, uh, Charles Chaplin, uh, born to two artists in uh, London, England, a place where they only spoke Cockney, and uh, he was put in an orphanage with his brother uh, Sydney, uh, sort of very young, he was put on a stage very young. Uh, Charles Chaplin moved around a lot as a child. Uh, loved to sing, loved to dance, loved to joke, was very funny, was very creative. 
got in trouble a lot, got kicked out of places a lot, ran away from things a lot. Um, and then came to America and became an amazing filmmaker, and the world knows him, you know, as Carlito Chaplin or Charlotte, you know, or Mr. Chaplin or The Little Tramp, which is, and so I, I fell in love with that. I fell in love with Chaplin because I got punished at 12 years old really bad um, for stealing my neighbor's bike for a joyride and then bringing it back and then getting caught. Um, and my mom felt bad for me that my father punched me so strictly that she just saw a box set of Charlie Chaplin VCR tapes. All right, let's go back. VCR tapes. VCR tapes <laughs> in a VHS player. It's like what before DVDs and Laserdisc and Blu-ray. Exactly. And I watched every single film, and they had maybe about thirty of his greatest films on these four VHS tapes, and I watched them. And I fell in love, and that percolated in my mind and in my creative spirit uh, up until my adult life, when I started to fall in love even further and choose to impersonate Chaplin professionally. Hmm. Um, first for joy, I would take him out to Lincoln Road and wow some people, and I got uh, booked by a few entertainment agencies, and then I decided to go out at it on my own, and I had taken them to L.A. with me, obviously, in a little suitcase, you know, hat, cane, suit, makeup, mustache, and I actually went to his houses and his studios in L.A. and performed there, and I performed uh, down the Hollywood Boulevard, and I got kicked out of the, the Chinese man theater, <laughs> because you have to have a permit, and I was a part of their thing. Um, have you ever uh, wrote a play? Have you ever have you, have you ever wrote a piece like based on Chaplin, like a one person show? Yes, yes, I wrote I wrote a one person show. I got to tour a little bit with uh, called Directing a Dream, and it took me four years to write it because I worked at the University of Miami's uh, Sleep and Dream Laboratories that they used to have back then. Now they've changed the name to the center. It's somebody's name I can't remember. It's a Dream Research Center, and. Um, I did a lot of studying about my dreams because I kept having this character show up in my dream, kind of narrating things, and I would have to, like, become lucid to, to stop this character. And it took me four years of these dreams and studying these dreams and my brain went to create a one-person show called Directing a Dream in which uh, a young Hispanic actor who feels like he doesn't fit in because he's a little too white for an extreme Hispanic character and his accent, he, he has a force there, according to some people. I don't have to talk like Fez all the time to be Latino, you know? <laughs> so, and then I'm a little, you know, a little too Hispanic for the white Caucasian roles. So, uh, in this world, he says, I'm going to crack the code of who this director is because he's going to direct me to become a better actor and a more consummate and complete person and whatnot. <laughs> and, yeah, I wrote this one-person show called Directing a Dream, and at the end, after going through 12 different characters or incarnations of himself in lucidity, because you see the dream character and the live character on stage, there's a projection that we had where I have long hair and beard and I'm talking about, I'm the actor trying to find the study, but live on stage it's me, I'm the dream, right? Mm -hmm. The actual dream. Um, by the end of it, I find out the director is Charlie Chaplin and I come out and do a whole set to the song Smile. Oh, nice. And that's sort of how it closed. Yeah, I got to take that to Edinburgh and perform it at a small theater in, a, in uh, the Los Angeles Fringe Festival in Santa Monica, uh, Santa Barbara Fringe Festival, and that was fun. You know, I got I got to tour tour my my show and I got to really sink my teeth into it and, and develop it. And Great. It was it was good. 
Great. Yeah, it was good. It was so good. at any time, at any time, you can uh, dust uh, dust off the uh, the derby and the mustache and the suit uh, when when things you know get better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can take them anywhere. That's the great thing, and, and there'll always be somebody. Um, so I'm in Los Angeles. But to fast forward and end that uh, end that part of the story, I'm in Los Angeles. I run into this Finnish friend of mine from New World School of the Arts. And I hadn't even been able to pay, pay my actor's access or even talk to my agent because they had disconnected my phone. So I had kind of run out of options at that point. And he said, listen, I'll, I'm going to jump online. I'm going to log into it. I'm going to get you the address and the time and, and the phone number so you can call them directly. And I'm like, I don't even have my agent's number. And he gave me my agent's number. And I called my agent. My agent said, don't do it. And I was like, I don't give a shit. I need money right now. And so I did the audition. It was the next day, and I landed uh, Charlie Chaplin to open up uh, Universal Studios in Singapore. And um, I got to go to Hong Kong for a bit, and then I got to go to Singapore for a bit. And for two years, uh, worked with the Chaplin Estate and the uh, Universal Studios uh, directional directorial staff and, and all that, their whole production team, and put together a really amazing Chaplin for the opening. Um, and got to train like 12 other chaplains, uh, his shtick, uh, his walk, his mannerisms, uh, how to do the makeup properly, how to get the wig uh, cut properly and, and styled properly so their heads in the shape of their face. Mm. And consult on the costuming. Yeah, it was, it was a really great, it was a really good experience. And for two years, I, I knew what it was like to be a successful actor. Um, ironically enough, I had left in 2000, late 2009 at the height of the last recession um, to go to one of the richest countries in the world Singapore to play a depression era character <laughs> who kicked out after the depression and got famous during the depression I found that ironic I was like I gotta write a book about that I call my theme park ex- existence <laughs> a story about a chaplain impersonator yeah yeah that was interesting so then I came back after two years so I've been back for uh, eight years back to South Florida, and I'm planning to do theater again. I've been writing a few more one-person shows. Good. And I just did the uh, I just did the auditions recently for the Unified um, Theatrical Auditions for the South Florida Theater League. All right, all right. So, so now, good. So uh, let's get into the the um, what I would say would probably be one of your hearts, which is co-founding the Moon River Cabaret. Now, were you, or how did you get into burlesque? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, do you want the long or the short? How much time we got? Oh, no. We, uh, well, just, we, we try to go under 90 minutes at least. <laughs> All right. All right. So, um, in 2013, a year after I get back from Singapore, I'm still kind of shell-shocked that I didn't stay in New York or LA or Singapore for that matter because they offered me another contract and, and it was taking the Charlie out of me, you know what I mean? Like I couldn't keep, um, Chaplin was, was a passion for me and it became a job and I wasn't enjoying it anymore. Um, and that took all the thunder out of me. And so I was like, okay, I'm not taking another contract. I'm getting the hell out. Um, so I got back and I'm, I'm doing a gig on camera for a company called Curveline Films. It's a local uh, film company. Here in Miami, and um, we're doing like a Halloween ball. And it's a fundraiser, 
and I'm on camera and headset, and somebody's doing a switcher between the four cameras that are roaming and stationary, right? I get a call on my headset, you're dropping a camera shot, and it's because I'm staring at this beautiful woman who's on top of a lira. If you don't know what a lira is, it's, it's a metal hoop hanging from the ceiling. Um, and there's a circus, a beautiful, uh, very attractive, <laughs> gorgeous, burlesque dancer up in this hoop uh, performing. And I dropped the shot and pick up the shot again. Who is that? And I'm just staring at her and I keep, so finally they switch off to another camera. Um, I find out later that that was Sophia Luna, who mm. is now my partner. Uh, after meeting Sophia Luna, I, I looked more into burlesque and I studied the history of burlesque with her because she really moved me into that space uh, of something that I hadn't touched in my artistry, which was uh, sexuality. You know, I, I think a lot of theater, um, past and present, will always touch somewhere uh, along the lines that there has to be something, uh, not sexual in nature, but something that is, is not overtly, but it's definitely present, uh, sexual, about sexuality, about sensuality as well. Uh, and I fell in love with, with the history of burlesque and having loved theater, I sort of brought my, my experience, my, my history of theater into her world of burlesque and sort of added a little theatrical spin to her burlesque shows that she was producing. And because she is Sophia Luna, Luna being Moon, and I'm Rio <laughs> Chavarro, uh, we created Moon River, Rio Ah, okay. And started to produce shows. Yeah, we started to produce shows that had theatrical elements, um, vaudeville and sideshow, and and round out the experience of burlesque. Because sometimes uh, people want variety, even if they want just burlesque. So we, we found a way to you know use an old formula with a, a slightly new spin. And uh, my character was created by another burlesque performer who said, "Rio, the things that come out of your mouth sometimes when you're hosting these shows." Oh my God. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good. She's like, yeah, you should be Rio OMG. And I said, please don't uh, anglicize my name. This should be Rio Dios Mio. She's like, yeah, it's Rio Dios Mio. And Rio Dios Mio is stuck as my um, stage persona at the Open Mics and at uh, the Burlesque Cabaret vaudeville shows that we produce. So, what would you say is the difference between uh, Rio Chavarro, the man, and uh, Rios Dios Mios? Uh, the persona. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll use Jim Carrey because I'm so fond of, of uh, his full spectrum and breadth of uh, acting ability. Uh, I am Rio Dios Mio like Jim Carrey is the mask. Okay. And I am Rio Chavarro like Jim Carrey is in his new show, Kidding. Okay. I haven't seen that one. Um, uh, okay, fine. Uh, like Eternal... Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Jim Carrey. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Where, yeah, where I'm not completely irreverent or ignorant or rude or crass or feigning class, which is what I do as Rio Josephine. Mm, I see. I see. Now, has uh, Moon River, have you uh, performed? I, 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 I can only assume. Um, have you already performed outside of the state of Florida? Yeah. Okay. Um, but my partner Sophia Luna, uh, co-founder of River Cabaret, she she won and is the reigning international queen for the Latin and Hispanic Burlesque Festival, which is a pretty big deal. And I won uh, an award 
doing burlesque with a Charlie Chaplin number that I do. Uh, and I went to Florida a Burley Picks Championship, and I won. And then I competed in the international one, which was in Denver, Colorado, I feel like in 2016. Mm-hmm. And got third place worldwide as a, as a burlesque performer in that festival in particular. Uh, that was really cool. But as far as Moon River, um, the furthest we've produced is Orlando, Key West, stuff like that. Uh, we've had residencies... Uh, all over South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood, Miami, Miami Beach. Um, we've, we've had residencies at, at, at a lot of very um, amazing places. Uh, on the low end, at Churchill's Pub, uh, many years ago when we first got the company going and we wanted to be very experimental, and a little more rock and roll and grungy. And uh, we refined our taste for the show and we created a, a whole new show. We were at the Vagabond uh, Hotel for a while. Um, we did Will Call for a while. Uh, Jada Coles. <clears throat> and then just recently, the, the last residencies that, that we lost. Um, well, that was Gatsby's Joint up in Fort Lauderdale. It's a very high-end uh, restaurant, 1920 speakeasy themed. Uh, beautiful stage, great sound system, amazing drinks. Uh, we had another residency at Number Three Social, uh, which was called Drag Me to Brunch, and we produced a drag and variety comedy show. Nice. Uh, with a little bit of burlesque and a little bit of cabaret. Uh, that was in Linwood. Uh, our other residency was Vino's on Galt Mile in Fort Lauderdale, and that's we haven't had work in since this, uh, since the shutdown, basically. Um, Man, I'm forgetting some places. Um, Barter, which uh, we just did for a full year, so had just celebrated February was our uh, full year uh, at Barter in Wynwood. Uh, Barter won't be reopening due to this oh. pandemic mm. and shutdown, which is really sad because it was a wonderful venue. I mean, huge stage, uh, lighting, sound was spot on. You could fit 120 people sitting down on tables, eating and drinking while while we did our show. That was one of our best uh, residencies that won't be reopening. Now, would you consider... Oh, over the place. Now, would you consider that, or would you think that those venues, which, of course, offer food and beverage, uh, would those be much, I could say, more conducive to your shows as opposed to a theater venue, like, say, a Broward Center or an Arst Center? And I'm just talking grand. I'm not necessarily talking... Go ahead. No, I mean, I, I, I've worked with uh, Cirque X, um, who, who are fellow alumni and, and, and teachers. And, uh, I've worked with Erica Moon Productions. She's a very big uh, producer. And I've worked with Aurora Natrix, who's a, a British and very successful and a lot of tenure here mm-hmm. in the Florida burlesque scene. Um, and some of them have produced that, like places like the Fillmore or, uh, or like the Blount Center or... Um, even the South Dade one. Um, yeah, it takes a, a very significant amount of investment to put up a show. Of course. As such, uh, as a producer, wearing too many hats, like if I go from producing direct, I, I'd be Charlie Chaplin for real in real life. <laughs> uh, to, because uh, we curate the music. Sometimes we even uh, get bands to record new music for us. We create just entirely unique shows. All of that would require a substantial investment just to get in through the door 
to hope to sell tickets. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big investment. We haven't gone in that direction yet. Our next goal is to perhaps uh, have a residency at a casino, at a local casino. Okay. That, yeah, that would enjoy that type of vibe, you know, that has uh, comedy and burlesque and cabaret and circus and vaudeville and even animals and sword swallowers and fire eaters, you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of like the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. Now, during... It's just so historically American. Of course. Now, due to this current situation that we're in, as you know, um, some performing uh, factions have uh, tried to go virtual and tried to provide entertainment online. Um, So is that something that that, uh, Moon River is possibly looking into? Okay. I'm singing some Louis Prima, some Armstrong, uh, maybe some uh, some Cap Calloway, you know, mm-hmm. um, some old timey tunes. Okay. And working with some artists, working with a violinist and a saxophonist. So it, we've been we've been going virtual. Um, not as a company per se. We've been getting books from uh, other companies that are producing online stuff. Um, my partner Sophia just did one and has another one this Sunday. Um, there's all kinds of really nice shows out there, like uh, Sanities, and uh, that was a, a funny one. What's the other one? Uh, they all have like really quirky names, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what's going on on there. And we're planning on producing a uh, a ticketed uh, online show with some of the best of the best in burlesque in South Florida, and some comedians, um, and teaming up and putting together. A nice two-hour production or hour and a half production uh, that has elements of our shows. Obviously, not without the, you know, without the lighting or without the sets or without the stage mm-hmm. or the sound system. But uh, and put together a show. We're planning on doing that. Uh, we should have it finalized by end of next week, for a week from now. Okay. So we're looking into May. Yeah. Great. We're actually having, and it'll be it'll be a great show, and it'll help us all out because we're all we're all hurting here. Yes, you know? of and, course. It's not just in the wallet, it's in the soul, man. Performers, we got to be on stage, or we got to be creating, or we have to be sharing. There's always uh, one of those things about artists that has to leak out, you know, and infect others, so to speak. <laughs> so I take it you still work with the uh, open mics. Um, are you still continuing with uh, Words and Wine? I know that uh, its founder has uh, relocated since, and... Uh, I understand yeah. that you took over, but uh, once everything passes, uh, are you uh, going to uh, reopen Words and Wine? I mean, um, to reopen it, it it's, it's become such a, uh, that might not even be the word, um, it's become such an institution uh, in the last, we celebrate 10 years this June of being an open mic, and we sort of, uh, again, run the full gamut of, of styles, genres of, of artistry. Uh, we've had performance artists, we've had actors, comedians, uh, musicians, poets, slam artists, um, storytellers, lots of bands. <laughs> um, so I think that no matter what happens, if Las Rosas, uh, if it's so unfortunate that our venue, our residency right now doesn't reopen, uh, we'll just reincarnate somewhere else. Where wine has been around for 10 years, not just because um, of my brother and myself, uh, 
over just re- only recently. Um, Nikki is still the producer, even while she's out in, in Portland, Oregon, doing her thing. Uh, she she still books bands and helps promote nice. and all that. It's because it's because Nikki started as, as a gypsy party. It was a gypsy party on Biscayne and 27th Street, and that house is now a giant parking lot. But it was a 1920s house, and she would jam pack it 10 years ago with artists and drummers and poets. And before you knew it, she had 100 people there, and then the cops showing up, and mm-hmm. eventually she moved it into venues. And after that, it just grew, and then she traveled. We've taken work in wine ever since I've been around with it to five different venues since uh, we've been involved. Mm-hmm. So we'll just find another venue, or we'll take it back to somebody's house, because, I mean, stay at home apparently is a real thing. Yeah, of course. Where's the wine to be 10 years old in June? That's amazing. Well, it seems to be one of the longest-running events in South Florida, and just to know that you have uh, taken up this, um, I can't say uh, cross because it's not negative, but to, to say that you have taken up this torch in order to carry it and to, uh, you know, create uh, a legacy, uh, that's commendable. So that's uh, very much appreciated that uh, you're still providing a platform for other uh, performers, other artists uh, here locally. Um, it's very supportive. I, I always close out uh, my program with supporting your local community. And it's true that without your local community, that's like the backbone of, your, of, uh, of every existence, uh, regardless of whether you are an artist or, whether, or uh, whatever your talent is. It's always about supporting your local community and building them up to take them to whatever next level there is. And like I said, uh, I, uh, I highly commend you for keeping that legacy alive. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I mean, reach one and teach one, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of really great talent out in Miami that doesn't even know the history of its own city, let alone the artists that sort of have been in the grind, really putting it down so that you can walk into a venue with a proposal and say, I have a show for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and giving them the know-how, you know, not leaving it up to just YouTube, but having sort of very uh, direct, didactic experience with a younger generation of artists in Miami that are, what do I do? Where do I go? Who should I talk to? Where do I, yeah, yeah. You know, if they're not in school for arts and they're just sort of like, you know, got a job and have this passion, it, it's great to run into people that, you know, you can offer something to, a nugget. It's nice to offer anything you can to, to a young artist because they're hungry, because I've been there. <laughs> I've been really hungry. So to produce more and create more and immerse myself more in other things. So once, once again, once this um, event, you might say, uh, kind of uh, passes until the next newest normal comes around do you think that audiences will be craving for live performance here uh is it you know or are we now you know strapped to due to the convenience of doing these virtual projects no i i think uh, i think virtual will never never surpass the real deal man it'll never surpass the real deal you know i'm not i don't think anybody wants to live in like a blow-up doll experience of life 
versus, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, look, after the great, the last, the great depression, right? It, the biggest boom to industry and artistry was coming out of a pandemic and a world war. You know, the Roaring Twenties were really a deal. They, they were a time where artistry just blew up. Uh, live performances, blew up venues were created. You know, everybody had a venue where everybody was a writer. Uh, it was a boom in all sorts of aspects of American life. After the pandemic, after the Great Scare, after the Great Depression, after the Great Wars, so I feel like it's the year 2020. It's going to be no different. It's going to happen again. We're going to have to unleash technology and unleash artistry, and uh, and I think people quite possibly be a little less discerning in some respects to the type of art or the quality of art just because they've been so flooded by it if that's what they were doing in the virtual world when they were staying at home and not being able to visit museums or theaters or live band productions or stuff of that sort you follow mm-hmm. I, I think i think it's not different i think as soon as the world is right again in whatever way you want to take that <clears throat> artistry's gonna boom and people are gonna flock to theaters and movie theaters and theatrical theaters and live performances and live bands and stand-up comedy and improv comedy. I think it'll happen. I think it'll happen because we've had so much of it indoors that I think we're getting, we're getting restless to have that, that, that purely human experience of watching a performer perform in the physical, in your face, uh, watching their thought process. Because I feel like that's lost in translation when you look at a screen actually see an actor or, or a performer's soul right? mm-hmm. presence versus a screen, you know, it's a flat screen. We're ca- capturing only a limited amount of dimension and color and sound versus uh, the real thing. So I think, I think we'll be back stronger than ever. Uh, the world of performing artists and theater and all that. Well, Rio, I thank you very much for taking the time out to speak with me. And I wish you much success in all your endeavors, uh, whether it be through uh, performing, producing, uh, creating. And for instance, if people want to learn more about Moon River Cabaret and the, uh, the things that you do, where can they find that information? Uh, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram, uh, Moon River Cabaret Miami, uh, Facebook Moon River Cabaret. Uh, or follow my partner, Sophia Luna, Miami, or myself, Rio Dios Mio. Yeah. All right. Great. Great. Well, you can just look us up. We, we won Best of Miami, so it's really nice that when you look up Moon River Cabaret Miami, uh, two articles come out on us because we won uh, Best of Miami Best for Last by the Miami New Times. So that was cool. Uh, oh. we, we have a, a findable link. <laughs> well, hey, you got to... Uh, hopefully you have some ideas in order to uh, defend that and uh, to let people know that uh, you're out there and uh, and show why you're the best in Miami. Well, I'm inviting you once we get the link up to uh, catch our show and be a VIP. <laughs> All right. I look forward to that. Thanks again. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for what you do, Kevin. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. You too. Once again, that was Rio Chavarro, and this was the Kevin Johnson program. 
And we'd like to thank you so much for listening as we learn about the creatives of South Florida. You can find us on anchor.fm forward slash kevjohnpro. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under kevjohnpro. So we will see you at the next episode. And once again, support your local community. Take care.